It's almost universal. Whether it's two wheels, four wheels, 18 wheels, no wheels. So many of us have a special memory involving a vehicle or a story about a car we've loved. Even if you can't tell a crankshaft from a drive shaft, I want to hear the story of the vehicle that moved you. I'm Blake Jackson, and this is Autobiography. Thank you for coming back to the Autobiography Podcast. I'm Blake Jackson, and uh, as we've been doing over the last little while, we've been getting stories from the Reynolds Alberta Museum. And much like this podcast, Reynolds Alberta Museum, they curate cars, and more importantly, they curate stories. Now, I'm going to tell you why this is really important to me right now. Uh, this weekend, my, uh, my grandfather passed away. In, in processing that, I realized that there's a lot of things that he'd seen, that he'd experienced that I never had a chance to ask about and, and he never had a chance to tell me. And so uh, between he and, and my dad being gone, those stories are gone forever. So we want these stories to be there uh, and we, we want to keep them out there. And there's some very interesting stories, especially at the Reynolds Alberta Museum. And today we are talking to Juanita Voth. Juanita, tell us about the vehicle that moved you. At the museum, there's lots of, there, let's face it, there's lots of stories, like you were saying. But one in particular is our 1912 Hop Yates electric coach. Going to stop for a second and tell you about the 1912 Hop Yates electric carriage. Now, Hop Yates manufactured their electric cars from 1911 to 1916 under the, uh, under the Robert Craig Hup Corporation, capable of speeds of up to 20 miles an hour and ranges of anywhere from 70 to 90 miles. It was quite the thing. It was opulent, and it was actually marketed towards women. Uh, it had a low-hung body, which they really pushed because apparently back in the day, women had this epidemic of spraining their ankles as they were stepping down from carriages. I didn't think that would be a big deal. But it was well worth the price. It was an expensive one, $1,750 in 1912 money, which equals about $51,000 today. It looks very unassuming. It's a black car. It kind of disappears in the background. But it has so many layers to its story and uh, just a fantastic way to engage the audience because it was purchased for a very unique kind of reason. It also talks a little bit about Stan, who is the, the reason that we exist. So much of his collection is part of our museum and talks about the lengths that he would go to to acquire a vehicle, as well as that it also talks really about the evolution of technology with automobiles. So like I say, there's there's a whole bunch of different levels of, of interest and in different aspects to this vehicle. And so it's really fun one to talk to our visitors about. A lot of people are surprised to know that there were electric vehicles back then. And it was, mm -hmm. it was actually um, a viable option for transportation. Yeah. Vehicles that we think are modern today are, yeah, just often a recycling of old ideas. The electric vehicles were, were very popular in the late 1800s already. New York City in the year 1900 had more electric vehicles than gasoline-powered vehicles. Paint the picture for us. It's an electric vehicle from 1912. What's it like? It is black, so it does look kind of unassuming. But in comparison to, say, the 1911 Ford Model T that's beside it, it does look uh, very different. Uh, it does have a little bit of that old carriage-style look to it. It has the, the lights, which look like old lanterns on the front, but they are actually electric lights. they got bulbs in there. 
Um, the front end looks very weird because, of course, it doesn't have an engine in it. Uh, that's actually where the batteries would be. And the motor is underneath uh, at the back connected to the back axle. Um, it is a two-door. So the cab is actually quite high. And so, yeah, it looks kind of that old school carriage. It looks like there should be horses in front of it. Um, but it, when you open it, it's just this beautiful green color. Uh, the, there's got green wool in there um, for the flooring as well as part of the walls of the doors. They've got green fabric for the, the ceiling, actually, like it's all pin tucked. Uh, along the, the panels of the walls, it's leather and green wool and silk that's embroidered. Looks like grapevines on the sides. Uh, it even has an early version of a glove box. So a little compartment that actually did store a, a mirror <laughs> and a place for your gloves. Because a lot of these vehicles were catered to the wealthy and to women. Uh, because it was a, a lot easier to start and operate than say, that Model T that's sitting right beside it. Uh, of course, at that point in time, you had to crank your gasoline-powered vehicle to start. So a lot of ladies didn't particularly like that option. Inside, for steering, it doesn't have a steering wheel. It has a tiller. So it's this, like, handle that sticks out, and you actually move it forward and back to turn left and right. Uh, it has electric lights inside, and it did have silk curtains that could hang down on the side windows for privacy. Uh, however, because of its age, uh, we've had to remove them because they were starting to deteriorate. So just to try to preserve them, we did have to remove them. The passengers seat on benches, and there's a bench in the front and a bench in the back. So you as a driver actually sit <laughs> on the back bench, and you might have your guests or your visitors, you know, sitting, staring you know, at you from the other direction. So it is kind of a weird vehicle and it is, like I say, kind of un unexpected, but uh, absolutely gorgeous inside. It's original. So this is pretty much what it looked like when it was originally driven in 1912. So the way you describe it, it's it's almost like a stagecoach. Different companies, if they started out with horse-drawn vehicles, they carried a lot of that with them into automobiles. Uh, other companies that maybe just automatically started with building cars already had very different ideas as to what their vehicles should look like. So say the Model T, because Henry Ford started with automobiles, his vehicles are going to look a little bit different. But yeah, there's definitely uh, old school charm <laughs> uh, involved in the design of this vehicle. Even when I was growing up, GM vehicles everywhere, we, we were a GM family. Uh, mm -hmm. When you open the door, on the door sill, there's a little blue badge that would say Body by Fisher. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess mm -hmm. they were a carriage builder from, from way back that happened to do the bodies for, uh, for Chevrolet mm -hmm. and the GM vehicles. I'm, I'm getting the sense of, of something opulent. You know, you're talking about the, the silk curtains over the windows and the, and the, the tiller instead of the steering wheel. It's, it's almost mm -hmm. like, a, like a boudoir on, on <laughs> wheels. And so where did this vehicle come from? Who owned it? Uh, so it was owned by Miss Victoria Jane Wilson. She and her family lived in Victoria, B.C. and uh, were, like we're saying, you know, wealthy family. Uh, she was an only child, and they kind of stuck to themselves. They they were uh, a bit uh, a, a private family, and when uh, the mother passed away, 
they, and they, the father kind of became a bit of a recluse and included his daughter, Miss Wilson, in that. And her only friends pretty much growing up was this pet parrot named Lewis. She got for her fifth birthday, if I remember correctly. She, she loved Lewis. And so when her father passed away, then she decided she was going to try a few things and go out in the world and try some stuff. So she figured, hey, let's buy an electric car so I can drive around town with Lewis in the car with me. Uh, however, Lewis didn't like going for car rides, and so she drove it for a couple hundred miles and then proceeded to park it in the garage and basically forgot about it for 40 years. Uh, along the way, she got more birds, and she built a big, huge Avery bird cage out in the backyard, and it blocked the door for the garage. And when she passed away uh, in 1949, she stipulated in her will the rest of her funds you know, would go to supporting Lewis and the rest of the birds, that they could live in comfort uh, in, in their birdcage, in their aviary, in her house, etc., and uh, that they could not be disturbed. So that meant that they could not move the aviary from the garage door. <laughs> so this car was basically stuck in the garage. Now, to give you some indication of, of the luxury that these birds were living in, uh, Lewis had a, a tip of brandy every day. So he was quite the spoilt bird. And uh, so Stan heard about this vehicle just sitting in there and it kind of like, oh, I got to get this car out and, and see it. So he actually got permission to take the car out. But instead of going through the garage door, he actually went through the side of the garage so he basically had to take one wall down and apparently had to lift up the roof a bit to be able to slide this vehicle out. They took the wheels off so they could put it on a bit of a dolly and, and slide it out the, the side and then basically put, <laughs> put everything back, put the wall and the, and the roof back so that they didn't disturb Lewis. And so that's the, the lengths that Stan would go to to get these these artifacts of interest to him. Eventually, when we opened up as a, the Provincial Museum in 1992, it became part of our collection as well. I've read about Stan Reynolds. Mm -hmm. Amazing man. This Hup Yates car was basically buried in this garage behind an aviary. How did he even find out about it? He had a lot of connections. To be honest, I am not exactly sure where and how he heard about it. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was one of these so-and-so so told so-and-so who told Stan kind of thing that there was this vehicle. He was famous for encouraging his customers to keep an eye out for things and to let him know. And so he did have a form that if you purchased vehicles or you were came to get service or whatever, you could pick up one of these forms, and if you ever did find something of interest, you could fill it out with where you know where you found it, who owned it, and if it did actually turn out to be of something of interest, he would give you like a discount or um, a bit of a commission or something like that. Similar situation, if I remember correctly, with the Hop Yates, that it was that somebody knew somebody who told Stan that this car existed and did some more research and, you know, got in touch with the right people and, and found out about it. Whatever happened to the parrot? I'm curious about this. Lewis, right? <laughs> yes. 
Miss Wilson passed away, she had a caretaker uh, named Wong, and he then was taking care of Lewis and all the other birds that she had. She had budgies and, and other parrots. They had taken over one whole floor of the house, and he was basically just caretaking these birds. Uh, unfortunately, the house was in, in rough shape um, by the time that Stan was, was taking the vehicle out and, and they were looking at things. And eventually they decided that Lewis would then move home with Mr. Wong and his family. So Lewis lived with Mr. Wong and his family until he passed away. Uh, and then his family continued to take care of Lewis uh, until, until Lewis himself passed away. I've read that the parrot was 102 years old by the time it died. Could very well have been. I don't know if you know the logistics. You're not a veterinarian. <laughs> nope. How does a parrot drink brandy? Oh, I guess uh, just how, uh, I guess anybody, how, you know, they drink water, I guess. Uh, from what I understand is that it was doled out in small amounts. It wasn't, a lot of our news articles at the time were really touting that, oh, you know, he was a, a, a drunkard uh, that he, you know, <laughs> put back a bottle a day kind of thing. But um, I'm, I'm assuming it was in a little shot glass or something like that, that it was just a little bit of brandy that he could, that he could sip out of. Certainly from, from records, it didn't sound like there was a lot of brandy in, in ingested, but there certainly, yeah, that, that it, it was a daily thing that he got a little nip of brandy. Apparently he also had a foul mouth. He was known for for uh, colorful language. To be fair, they used to give children brandy all the time, too, to keep them quiet. True. So, yes. Uh, yes. It was a different age, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Did Stan Reynolds have a favorite vehicle? Was there one crown jewel for him? Uh, there's probably a couple of them, but certainly one of his favorite cars was also would also be very similar vintage. A 1913 locomobile torpedo body style vehicle. Um, it is reportedly the first automobile in Alberta with electric light. Talking a little bit about how Stan found some of these artifacts, this is an example of where somebody filled out one of those forms because they found something interesting. A gentleman was delivering something to a farm and saw fender and a headlight sticking out of an old straw pile. And here it was, this locomobile. That was definitely one of his favorite vehicles, one of his favorite cars. Is that one currently on display as well? No, unfortunately it is not. It is in our warehouse. So in the summertime, we do offer warehouse tours. So it is quite possible that you'd be able to see it uh, on the warehouse tour. It is definitely worth, worth going through. There, you, you want to talk about stories. There's lots, lots of stories in there, whether it's a character that owned it or the technology behind it, or how Stan found it. There's there's lots of stories in there. We do tours that are 75 minutes long. Uh, really, in, in reality, we could probably spend all day doing a tour through the warehouse because there's just so many artifacts. Can you just lock me in there for the night? Can we do a special permission <laughs> kind of thing? Uh, well, that. You know, uh, we can certainly take you a tour through. I don't know if you'd want to be locked in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, certainly uh, next time you're down, we, we would love to take you through there. Because if, if you want some other ideas of, of subject matter for podcasts, we, we could probably supply you with, with the rest of the year. <laughs> and uh, I would love that. I, I'm, I've been singing the, the praises of the museum to everyone that will stand and listen to me. 
And it's a testament as well, hearing about finding the, the, the Hup Yates tucked behind uh, an aviary or, or the torpedo car underneath a pile of straw. I drive mm-hmm. back roads all the time. You never know what you're going to see. And there's, there's been so much, even in a, a province as young as ours, there's been so much history and, and so many stories take place that it's, out, it, it's all around us. And that also was the, a good reason why Stan collected things was that he saw this history that was disappearing. And that was really a driving force for a lot of his collecting. He never never really thought of, oh, well, if I collect this, if I save it, it's going to be worth big bucks in the future. It was, no, this this has got some history behind it. Local family has owned it from, they purchased it new and, you know, they've used it for 50 years or that this is something really mechanically interesting. I want to keep this because I've never seen it before, stuff like that. That was his driving force. So again, the, the stories behind it, uh, and so that really is what drives our, our programming department, people that, that we want to tell these stories and get people excited. And sometimes it is interesting what different people have different interests. Uh, another one of my favorite vehicles is a vehicle that's actually kind of kitty corner around from the, the Hop Yates is our 1916 Buick Hearse. Some people run <laughs> run from the vehicle because they're like, oh, there's dead people. And other people are fascinated with it. It's a wood body vehicle. It, it, it just looks so unique and different. These vehicles were always custom made. There's wood carving on the side. A lot of that is all hand carved. Lots of different stories, different aspects of life. Definitely stories galore. If anybody wants to come in, all you have to do is ask one of us, and uh, we could tell you all kinds of stuff. Juanita Voth from the Reynolds, Alberta Provincial Museum. Thank you very much for telling us about the Hup Yates. And You're very welcome. Uh, maybe we can have you on again. Perfect. Sounds good. Juanita's awesome. She knows so much about the Hup Yates electric carriage, and the carriage itself is quite the thing. I, I mentioned a boudoir on wheels. That's real. Not a bordello on wheels, a boudoir on wheels. It's a very classy place, uh, as is the Reynolds Alberta Museum. You should go there. And they're saving cars. They're saving stories. I'm passionate about that, more now than ever, and uh, thankful that you're here with me on the Autobiography Podcast. If you've got a story to tell... I'd love to hear it. Um, I'm on all the social media. If you want to drop me a note or, or give me a call, I would love that. I'm Blake Jackson. It's time for another story. All right, next guest on the Autobiography Podcast, Alberta-born singer, songwriter, guitarist. Started off a while ago with Tupelo Honey and opened up for everyone and, and did some amazing things there. And now he's conquering the solo country world. Please welcome to the Autobiography Podcast, Mr. Dan Davidson. Hey, man. So nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Well, Dan, tell us about the vehicle that moved you. I think that would have to be my 95 Ford Ranger. Ooh, got to tell you about the Ford Ranger. Originally, okay, in 1958, Ford used the name Ranger as a trim level for the Edsel. And that trim level... Not making this up. The trim level of Ranger on the Edsel included a cigarette lighter and rubber floor mats. 
And that was it. And then in 1965, they started using that name for uh, a high-level trim package on full-size trucks. And then, you know, in the 70s with the gas crisis, they got into making teeny tiny trucks like the Ford Courier. But customers actually had a couple demands for them. And once again, not making this up. They wanted something with more legroom and a bigger ashtray. <laughs> So, in the 1983 model year, Ford came out with the Ford Ranger, which was a small but very, very tough truck. They manufactured it through 2012 and then started up again in 2019. I was looking for, for special editions of the Ford Ranger truck, and there wasn't much. But there was one that I would love to get my hands on. In 1990, they made a prototype Ford Ranger GT featuring the high-output Taurus SHO engine and a Mustang five-speed. And I would do donuts in it all day. And when people gave me heck, I'd say, hey, my Ranger is no stranger to danger. Yeah, that was my first car. And it was uh, probably the best thing that ever happened to me. It was like just a two-seater. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it probably weighed a grand total of 200 pounds, front-wheel drive. So a real, real tough winter vehicle. <laughs> Wait, a, a Ford Ranger? That was the one. That was my first truck. And it was a front-wheel drive? Yeah, it was like a little, uh, it was a, a manual. It was a taste of freedom, and it, it symbolized uh, growing up to me. So with your Ranger, was there lots of trouble to get into? There was, yeah. It, it had been through a lot. Like, you, you know, it's a two-person cab, but there was definitely four or five band guys crammed in there when we needed to get somewhere. <laughs> it was the first truck I ever had, first car I ever had that was a, a standard. So wasn't quite used to making sure it was in gear when I was, you know, when I was parked. Mm -hmm. So I remember having the door a little bit open and it slowly drifting down the driveway and hyperextending on the basketball net at my parents' house. So that, <laughs> <laughs> it had a comfort door on the passenger side that opened real wide. <laughs> <laughs> I did that with a tractor once, so don't feel too bad about that. It was the first truck I ever drove to a studio in, put all my stuff in the back, whatever could fit in that tiny little cat or tiny little truck bed. But, um, it had it had a mattress in the back a few times for some camping adventures and it, yeah, I got into a lot of trouble with that thing. So, what kind of trouble can you say? A lot of my first speeding tickets, first accidents, <laughs> first a lot of that kind of stuff. It was it was a great little truck. It had zero power and it, it felt like it was like this massive F three fifty sort yeah. of like slick kind of vehicle in my mind, but really it was like this hilarious little Tonka truck thing <laughs> I was cruising around with. Well, when it's your first vehicle, it's your first love. I mean, there's there's nothing that can ever compare to it. Whatever happened to the Ranger? My wife was pregnant at the time and we're like, okay, we got to have a car that at least we can all fit in. So, so we, I sold it to a friend of mine for $1 and then I don't know what happened to it. He's, he doesn't have it anymore though, that's for sure. And I'm so sad. I should have held on to it, just parked it in the garage and left it for one of my kids one day well especially it's a manual and and they're becoming an endangered species so yeah and you know what's so funny like those trucks like the the friction point on them like when you're pushing in the clutch is so far like you know on, on new cars you just have to barely hit the clutch and you can change gears this one you had to do like a full thrusting leg motion to get any <laughs> gears to change. But, you know, the funny thing about it, it was the kind of truck that I could start it probably in third if I was really careful. It had a radio, though? It did. I, I ended up putting a, a CD player in there, but, like, it was 
You know, the CD player looked cool. It had all the bells and whistles that, yeah. that a late '90s truck would have, but like the speakers just couldn't couldn't hold up to it. So as soon as I started getting excited about the, a song, the whole truck you could hear it from yeah. a mile away, just just awful rattling window buzzing. Things. I found I was driving around myself just alone a lot though, because like when you got in on the passenger side of that truck, the thing that reclined the seat, like the little lever. It had been bent in such a way that if you got in wrong, a thing was leaving you a serious butt cheek bruise. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was checking out some of your videos, and in one, you're driving an El Camino. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that yours? No, these are all fr- like. There's, I've had a lot of good experience with cars throughout my, my music career. And that one, the, the latest video has this El Camino and it belongs to a friend of mine who's also named Dan. You sit in that car and it, it feels great. Like it's like with those old cars that you just, it's like getting into grandma's sofa or something, you know? But it was so hard to get that thing to run. Like it was just, oh, no. it just felt like it was about to rattle right off the road every 10 seconds. But super cool looking though, man. Those Those cars are... They make you feel cool when you're driving them. You know, that was that was my first car, actually. I felt cool. I probably wasn't, but I sure felt cool. Oh, what, I, those are amazing, man. I'm sure you were cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're the only person to ever say so, so you've got a special place in my heart now. Uh, <laughs> so you had a song last year, uh, Roll With It, with the Roadhammers. How'd you get involved with those guys? Well, you know what's funny? Like, I've been friends with Clayton for a long time. We've run into each other over the years. Like, when I was doing Tupelo Honey, I would run into Clayton um, at music festivals and things like that. But I never really knew the guy. And then when I switched over to country, I was trying to make a list of some of the people in my hometown that I knew were doing country at a a high level that I could kind of, like, buddy up with. And and so I called Clayton out of the blue because I knew he lived in the Edmonton area. And uh, I was like, hey, man, I got some songs. I'd love to hatch them out with you and, and see what happens. I had this song idea at the beginning of my, my song Found. And Clay helped me iron it out. And, you know, I put that song out. We, we probably wrote the thing in two hours, put the song out. And it was, you know, the number one selling Canadian independent song. And it went gold in Canada. And the whole thing kind of started from there. Clayton and, and Jason have been so good to the podcast. I really appreciate how, well, how much fun they're having with it. Um, has Clayton taken you for a ride in the GTO yet? No, I've seen it though. Yeah. I was out, I was out at his, uh, his dad's farm there. I think where he keeps it. And they've, they've been doing some tinkering out there. Those, those guys are like, you know, real country people. Like they know how to fix stuff. <laughs> I was born in the suburbs, so I don't really have that gene too, too much in me, but I like to, I like to, you know, hang out with enough people that I hope it rubs off one day. <laughs> well, I'm, you, you must know, you must know some stuff already. How many kids do you have? I got two, two little girls. So, and it's important uh, for for girls, for women, to know about their vehicles. And if if you were to uh, teach your girls anything about cars or car maintenance or anything like that, what would it be? Well, you know, I think changing a tire has got to be on the top of the list. You know, you don't want to get stranded somewhere. And I remember being on a road trip with my three sisters, and we were coming back from from Manitoba from the cabin, and uh, we were driving. I think my sister's CRV or something, and it, and it broke down, and I was asleep. And I woke up and like, they were all like freaking out about what we're going to do and we're going to have to walk. And, and it was like a real learning opportunity for me. Like I'd only changed a few tires myself, but I was like, let's figure this out together, girls. And we can, (laughs) we can empower each other with the, the 
the know-how here. So I think that's the kind of thing that you need to know in Canada, you know, at least the concept of how to change the tires. There's just so many weird places in this country where there's no cell service and there's no people. And mm-hmm. it's just like quite often there's no one to help. So that's a, that's a key one. The things happening on the road. What's the craziest thing you've seen out there? Well, we almost saw a full pin fist fight in a truck stop <laughs> in the, uh, northern ontario somewhere like when you're driving those highways around the great lakes in the winter time it's it's absolutely white knuckle terrifying you know craziness middle of the night you can't see anything and these truckers are blowing by you and, and they're just like going you know mach 20 down these, these slushy roads and they're spraying each other and and it's it's hairy you know if you're not being respectful and careful on those roads like you could you could literally drive off a cliff into a lake so it's mm-hmm. it's not um super safe and and i think there was a guy that was 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 being nuts and just flying past people and you know when there's that line of slush in between the two lanes and yeah you get blasted yeah so there was these two guys that that we saw pass like kind of pass back and forth and and they were just having it out in the, in the <laughs> truck stop in wawa ontario <laughs> that was a pretty memorable one that sounds like a song just writing itself yeah, doesn't it? It's, yeah. <laughs> sounds like a Stompin' Tom song, though, maybe. The Wah Wah Wumble. Yeah, there you go. Credit. <laughs> Thank you. So you've got a new album coming out. Yeah, it's this, it's this album called Six Songs to Midnight. So it's a collection of a bunch of songs that I've put out over the last year and a half, plus a few new songs that fans may not have heard before. And and to make it about the fans, I, I decided I would I was going to give away 350 advanced signed copies for everybody that heads over to dandavidsonmusic.com and, and signs up in the in the little field there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to say thanks to everybody before I, I move on to the new chapter in my uh, career and in my writing style. That's all I had for you, so I appreciate the time. It sounds like you're trying to do some some home education there. Um. <laughs> yeah hey you know what it's, it's your a car guy i gotta i gotta mention one other car you gotta check out in my videos okay i shot this i shot this video this is like my best day at work i i shot a video in the desert called church and mm-hmm. uh we shot it just outside of palm springs and i found this guy online who had a 1970 cadillac deville drop top like white wall tires and he rented it to me for a couple of days and we just drove around this beautiful Cadillac in the middle of the desert looking for ghost towns for like two days. And it was the best drive. It was so comfy, so smooth. That's one on the dream. Give me that car list. Right. <laughs> Check that one out. Well, I'm sure it'll happen one day for you. Much deserving too. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Thanks for chatting, man. I really appreciate the time. Thank you very much, Dan Davidson, telling us about the Ranger. And life on the road, fist fights in Wawa, Ontario. Yeah, same old story. Hear it every day. Uh, we also heard from Juanita Voth at the Reynolds Alberta Museum, and we'll have more stories from Reynolds Alberta Museum uh, coming up in future episodes. And as always, take your family out there, go and see it. There's lots of stories and uh, a wealth of information about Alberta, about Canada out there. And you know, you'll you'll probably remember. Stories from your own past as well, and those memories will come back. Well, I'm Blake Jackson. Thanks for listening to the Autobiography Podcast, as always, recorded at Communal Creative Studios in Red Deer, Alberta. If you have a story, please let me know. I love them. I love to hear from you. You can hit me up on any of the social media, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Until then, keep your wheels on the road and a tarp on your load. (laughs) 